going to do something a little bit different in that we're going to do two psalms tonight. I think the reason for that will become clear as we look at them. But before we start talking about it, it's about it's 16 verses, so I want you all to take just a couple of minutes, read down through those 16 verses, and look for any phrases or ideas that are repeated, and then we'll go through this psalm together. Psalm 42 and 43. Yep. All right, everybody had a chance to look that over a little bit? Okay. What are some of the repeated ideas that we see in this psalm? Jonathan? Okay. Yeah, we see that actually three times in these two psalms, right? Slightly different, but very, very similar phrasing. What else? Okay, in despair. What else? Okay, where is your God? Yeah, Ben. Okay, needs God, Braden. Okay, and let's build off that idea of praise God. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Evan. Yeah, yeah. So let's build off that idea of praise God. Where is he? Um, where is he when he's composing this psalm? Okay, so there's the enemies part of it, and what else? Is he in Jerusalem? Okay, it seems like he wants to be there. Look at verse 6. It says, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser. I don't have the map in front of me at the moment, but he's not in Jerusalem, but he has a desire to be in Jerusalem and to gather with 
God's people again, right? So we have these two ideas, I think, and that's why I put it in the title there on your page. There's this idea of distance, and there's this idea of being disturbed, largely because of enemies. And so I think that that is something that we ought to consider because I think we have all um, experienced a sense of distance from God. And if we haven't yet experienced, we will at some point experience opposition from people who don't love God and who oppose God's work. And we end up being... The, um, the ones who receive their opposition. And so how do we respond when those things are going on? He starts out with his attitude in verse 1 and 2. How many of you have been working outside in the summer and you're really thirsty? Okay. Um, what... Um, Sometimes we'll think, oh, you know what? What I would really like is some cool lemonade. I mean, that's like the romantic picture of summers. It's, it's uh, hot outside. You want cold lemonade, you know, that kind of thing. I was drinking some ginger ale here because we had some pizza at the hospital, and then I was outside in the heat, and then I didn't feel good. So, um, But what do we really need when we don't have... When, when we've been outside and sweating and working and it's really hot? Water. In the same way, and this is not the best illustration, but I think it proves the point, sometimes there are good things that will quench our thirst for a while when we are in difficulty. Companionship of other people, especially Christians, um, keeping busy with different activities, doing work, these are all good things, but they don't completely solve the real need that we have, which is God himself. So, think about the deer that's running through the woods or running across the plain. What does it need? It needs water. In the same way, David says, well, not David per se, uh, we see a desire to see God and I think we see here an anticipation of, or sort of a tying together of some different ideas. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness. What did they need? They needed water. What does the psalmist here need? He needs God's presence, which he compares to water. And in Jesus' case, think about his conversation with the woman at the well. You can keep drawing up water from that well every day, and you're still going to be thirsty. But spiritually speaking, if you have me, your thirst will be satisfied. And so we see that transition and that picture sort of getting tied together in all those different directions, both of our physical need and of our spiritual need, and God meeting both of those. And then we see this idea of water continued in verse 3, where he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been so worked up about something that you couldn't eat? I mean, that is the picture that we see here. And the specific reason that the psalmist is this way could have been David, but it's listed as a mascal or a, a, a song of the sons of Korah. Um, why is he this way? 
because people are constantly asking, where is your God? He's not there. He's not helping you. He's not with you. And what's the response? The response could be an overwhelming sorrow and a difficulty and a frustration and a losing even the desire to eat and do basic things of life because you're just overwhelmed with those questions and that opposition. And then we uh, see sort of a looking back, verse 4. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So there's this contrast. This was a time of joy. Now is a time of sorrow. This was a time of being gathered with God's people. Now is a time of being alone and being distant, as we see in verse 6. What's the right response to that? It's not wrong to want to be gathered with God's people, but only in so much as we are connected to God Himself. And that's what it says in verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. So, when we face opposition and being overwhelmed and feeling like we are distant from God and maybe from everyone else, what we need to do is consider truth which we know about God from His Word, and remind ourselves of that truth, think about it, ponder it, and then act on it. And when we, when we do that, it goes from being just a knowledge that's sort of like, yeah, that's information over there in that file folder in a file cabinet, that's information in that Word document on my computer, that's information on however you store information, but it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with my daily life. I might come across it when I'm cleaning, but that's about it. We have to take our knowledge of God, and when we're in the situations of life, apply it to that situation of life, say, what is true about God? What is true about me? What do I need to do? So what is true about Him? He is in despair. He is disturbed. What is true about God that is not specifically stated, but is implied in verse 5. God is there. Perhaps we could also say other things like what we were talking about a few minutes ago. God is sovereign. God is in control of the situation. Truths about God that underlie, I'm in despair, I ought to hope in God, and I'm confident that He will give me another opportunity to praise Him, the thing that's in the middle that's not stated but it's, but it's implied is what sort of God do you follow? And if God is who the Bible describes Him as, then we can move from in despair to the hope and confidence we will yet again praise Him. And we can do that, verse 6, no matter where we are. Sometimes... Um, uh, I think about what it says in the screw tape letters. Not a perfect book, but an interesting and a thought-provoking book. The demon Wormwood, not, whatever their names were, it escapes me at the moment, but um, the one, the older demon, is writing to the younger demon and saying, here's how you tempt the humans. And he says, one of the things that's really important for him to do is to make him think 
that God will only hear him if he is in a certain posture, like if he's on his knees or if he's standing, or if he's like looking at a specific spot on the wall, or if you can get him to create in his mind this picture of God that replaces the actual God that the Bible talks about, you will have succeeded at your purpose in some degree of tempting him. And so the Christian response to that is to recognize I can pray to God whether I'm standing or sitting or falling on my face or lying down or wherever I am, and there's importance and significance in those postures, but the calling out to God can happen regardless of all those things. Furthermore, in addition to that, we ought to uh, recognize that God can hear us wherever we are. This was something that was important for the Israelites to recognize. Their enemies thought, we fight them on the hill in the, in the valley, we'll win, because their God is a God of the hills, or vice versa. But God's not bound by geography. If God made the entire universe, God can hear us wherever we are. In the belly of a fish like Jonah, in a stormy sea like Paul, traveling across the desert like the Israelites, wherever we are here today, God can hear us in all those places we can and should cry out to Him. And we should cry out to God even when it feels like, and perhaps is true if we really think about it, that He is the underlying cause or reason or basis for the trouble that has come upon us. See what it says in verse 7? Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. There's this picture that you're drowning and God's the one that's stirring up the storm on the sea. We say, well, why would God do something like that? In Jonah's case, it was to arrest his attention and cause him to repent. In the case of the Israelites, it was caused them to trust him. In our case, uh, James says that the testing of your faith produces patience. So we may not all understand all of the specific whys, but we can understand the general, what God is accomplishing. But recognizing that the difficulties that come into our life are by the hand of God both helps us to realize that we ought to cry out to God for help because He's the only one who can do anything about it. He's the one who brought them into our life. And to recognize that they are not some sort of cruel trick of fate. You know, some people have this idea, you know, well, why did this bad thing happen? Well, you know, it just happened. There's no explanation. It just is. How do you live with that? How do you live with that? And I can't fully under, understand or explain to you all of the ins and outs of why God brings heartache and suffering to those who from our perspective are innocent, people who are mistreated in various ways, people who die young, people who live long lives of sickness. I can't answer all of your questions about that, but I can say... What this says is God was not taken by surprise by any of those things and God is accomplishing His purpose in and through the difficulties of our lives. Notice verse 8. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. We say, if anything at this point, when you're 
far away from God's people and it feels like God's hand is heavy on you and all of these difficulties are rolling over you like waves in the ocean and you're drowning, that's the point to say, I don't trust God anymore. What sort of God is He? But what's His response? The Lord will command His loving kindness. He still sees God's mercy, loving kindness, covenant loyalty, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And there is even an expression of praise in the midst of those things, just like he talked about in verse 4. Is that your response when you face difficulty? Is it, God's let me down, I'm done with him? Or is it, God is still at work in my life? I may not have all of the answers, but the fact that I am going through this, and I know that God is in control of it, and I know that He is my Father and I belong to Him, does that strengthen your faith or cause it to stop? But there are right questions that we ask. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? There's an acknowledgement that things are not as they should be. And we need to talk to God about that. When it says in Romans 8, the creation groans because we live in a broken world, it's said in the context of, at the end of the chapter, God's plan and God's love for His people. And in the middle of the chapter, God's Spirit crying out together with our spirit when we're not even quite sure what to say, but there ought to be a crying out to God. Again, because God is the one who can really solve it, and because God is the one who gives us strength to get through it. And so then we see again in verse 11, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. So he said in verse 5, for the help of His presence. He says in verse 11, the help of my countenance. There's a sense in which I think he's saying that God helps him to have joy even in the midst of the trial that God has brought into his life. And then we come to Psalm 43, and the reason I think that these go well together, whether they were originally two or originally one, there's arguments about that, it's not really important. The themes are very closely tied together. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you, the God of my strength, why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Same questions we saw here at the end of Psalm 42. There is a right desire for God's people to be vindicated, for their faith to be shown right. We've talked about this many times before. When is God going to do that for us as believers? When Christ returns, that will be the full and final vindication that what we have believed is true, that it's been worth following Christ, and that we will be rewarded and share in His glory, unlike those who reject God and face His wrath. But in the meantime, I think there's also a right and proper place to cry out to God and say, in the short term, vindicate me. Show that what I'm doing is right because I'm following you, Show that wicked can't and shouldn't win. You know, those sorts of things. Verse 3, 
Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. The word lyre in verse 4 is obviously a harp, not someone who doesn't speak the truth, in case anyone was confused about that. So he's saying, I will, my desire is, I'm way over here, I'm oppressed by enemies, I'm crying out to God, God, vindicate me and show that they're wrong and I'm right because I'm following you. Bring me to a place where I'm gathered again with your people and I can praise you, not only because of all the things you've done before, but because you've delivered me yet again. And um, when he says, send out your light and your truth, perhaps he has in mind something of how God led the Israelites through the wilderness, because, I mean, if he's standing in the land of the Jordan, God led the people of Israel through there before. There's a, a sense of a, of a connection to, to that. Um, and there's a desire to gather with God's people and again praise Him. And then he concludes, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. This psalm doesn't lay out in great detail what God is like. It, it assumes it as the basis for all of the actions and words and statements that we see in these two psalms. But what we do see is our response in the context of when we are distant from God's people. Probably the, the literal application would be when we can't gather with God's people because we're sick, because we're traveling to a faraway place, something like that, we are still connected with God and can and should cry out to Him. In a more figurative sense or by way of application, sometimes we feel like we're distant from God and there can be a variety of reasons for that. Our sin, other people's sin, just the weariness of life in this world. There's a variety of reasons for that. In those cases, we ought to cry out to God for His help. And when people oppress us, with probably not a common experience in our life, but perhaps we've experienced it, when we see opposition from people because we are following God, again, that ought to drive us to call out to God. And so when you feel distant or when you are disturbed for a variety of reasons... What is a right response? Recognize the despair, the discouragement, all of those things that are going on in your heart and life. Recognize that part of the solution is being connected with God and His people. That is a right goal to have. But recognizing the only way that you're going to get from here to there is not just by conversations with other people or, or being busy with life or all those sorts of things, but by calling out to God Himself asking for His help to remember truth that you already know, looking to Him in the time of difficulty, and then, yes, gathering with God's people, rejoicing in what God has done, giving testimony of how God has worked in your life. So when you are in despair, when you are disturbed, remember that you can and should hope in God with the goal that you would praise Him because He is your help and He is your God. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what's going on in everyone's heart and life tonight. There are times when we are disturbed and we tell people about it, and there are times when we're discouraged and we don't say anything to anybody. 
But Lord, help us to know that we can always cry out to you. Help us to know that we can find encouragement in gathering with your people and rejoicing in how you have answered our prayers, continue to answer our prayers, and will answer our prayers. Help us to be reminded of what sort of God you are, that you are everywhere, so we can call out to you even when we're not close to where we gather, that you are a God who is sovereign, so even the difficulties that come in our life do not take you by surprise, but you are at work in them. Lord, help us to remember these truths so that when we face times of discouragement, despair, that we would have a right response and continue to hope in you to choose to turn away from that despair to a renewed trust and hope in you because you are our God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.